Thank you, Michaela, for joining us on The Antidote. Today, we're having a conversation on sexual healing arts, the ethics of facilitation, feminine leadership, the wisdom of sister circles, healing with psychedelics, and how plant medicine can completely change a person's life as it did for me and Michaela. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have you here, Michaela. Um, Michaela is an entheogen facilitator and educator, a womb wellness practitioner, and and really um, an educator and uh, the wise woman traditions of healing and earth medicine. And she so generously shares her wisdom on all of her platforms. I'll be linking uh, ways to connect with Michaela in the show notes. Um, so thank you, Michaela, for, for being here and for, for sharing your wisdom and on this topic of sacred ho energy. And would love to hear from you um, in your own words, your origin stories, and uh, any of the, the weavings of your experience that you want to share with us that brings you to who you are now with this great transmission of wisdom that you share. Thank you so much for having me and yeah, for bringing the word origin, I think is really beautiful because the word yoni it means in so many words and so many meanings it's pointing to the source of the origin and it means source in itself and i guess i'd been looking for that word and that origin myself for a long time i was raised in Los Angeles, um, just north of Los Angeles, and was raised in a really suburban, mostly white, middle-class neighborhood where I was encouraged to be just like the people that I went to school with. And I went to school with upper-middle-class wealthy white um kids of like hedge fund managers and stuff and you know we were going to catholic school and christian school and like the dogma and the belief system that i was being kind of run through and pushed through um it just was it was really damaging and oppressive to my origin and who my family is and where we come from. And where we come from is Italy on my mother's side and Mexico, um, the Nawaz, the Azteca people, the Mayan people, the people living on the borderlands of Mexico and the United States and the Caribbean. So we are also of Caribbean heritage, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and culturally Cuba. And so these ancestors are and were in no way acknowledged or honored in my childhood, in the society and the neighborhood I was living in. And so my family quietly and in the home maintains some of our traditions like cooking certain foods and celebrating in certain ways but 
the indoctrination and acculturation to, you know, Christmas and Fourth of July and these like weird <laughs> holidays that have literally nothing to do with us whatsoever um, were a part of my upbringing. And so I kind of wandered as like a lone wolf and an outsider and an outcast um, because I felt really uncomfortable with where I was growing up and how I was being, you know, raised not just by the school system, but like my family and the church. And so I got in a lot of fucking trouble. I was really behaviorally problematic for the institutions that I was a part of and was seen as like a problem child. So I was constantly on like behavioral probation, academic probations, ditched, got in a lot of, you know, I just was always under a magnifying glass. I was called a slut often at school and I only had ever had one boyfriend. And, you know, I was sexually assaulted by the same people who called me a slut. And Mm. it was really an interesting dynamic to be in as someone who was a sexual assault survivor. Mm. at a really young age so I um, was molested by a family member from age six to age 10 and so then had no and little literacy around sexual health and what happened to me being inappropriate and how to cope and manage and heal and especially in Catholicism, um, there were maybe some mental health services, but I was just getting slut shamed for expressing real feelings that were coming up in me because these feelings were initiated in my body at such an early age that I was already like desiring sexual connection at like 11 and 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And so um, my wandering to find yoni and sacred hoe and womb care um was a necessity because i had this wild fire in me that was burning up my whole existence because it was damaging and i was acting on things that like i only felt super compelled to act on and yet had no refinement around Mm. (laughs) yeah um, I, I'd love to, yeah, just pause on that piece that I think is a really important teaching that you share and understanding and hindsight in your experience, how opening sexuality at a young age actually requires refinement as opposed to shame and silence. If you want to share more about how that led you uh, on the path uh, of, of sexual healing and purity culture is so fake. It's so false to believe that the pastors and the priests and the church and all the people are not having depraved fantasies and acting on them sometimes. And the constriction of sexual energy not leading to it breaking free in other ways. Um, it's, it's such a gilded surface. And so I... I'm so happy to say that as a young person, it seemed really fake. And I'm glad that there is a word for this now, which is purity culture and like understanding that these dogmatic beliefs around repressing sexual energy um, is really harmful, um, especially in a culture that is a rape culture. 
um, how do those two things even exist? How does purity mm. culture and rape culture exist in the same society? So, you know, what ends up happening is for people that have been sexually assaulted or which is almost an inevitability, honestly, in this world um, at some age or another, um, then to be met with the purity culture, which is your chastity is extremely important. And if you don't have it, then like you're loose and you are like irredeemable um it leaves the person like wow okay well I have these things have happened to me and I need guidance because I'm not being accepted by the overculture around that I want to express this outwardly and when we do want to express them outwardly they are exploited so sex does sell and there is you know prostitution and sex work does become an inevitable end for some people and a world that we do embark on and even in that space there isn't a lot of education around how to refine and how to make a diamond from the coal Mm -hmm. and from the charcoal and so yeah I found myself um wandering that line I was like well purity culture isn't for me so I'm gonna go on Craigslist and find a sugar daddy and just see what happens in like the wild west of when people relate with other people on the web and see what can occur in those places. And it's really dangerous. It really is for people that are learning how to navigate and they're really young, like I was. And so I found Western Tantra in my wanderings. And Western Tantra is a really interesting system. It's a very watered down system of a very complex system of understanding not just the sexual body but the entire energetic system of the body and how to worship and praise specific deities and energies that exist within and without and so I did step into western tantra when I was 19 and um, I had a teacher and um, he was very troublesome problematic character And many of us do come through some pretty gnarly initiations um, into our sexual refinement, sometimes by learning what isn't okay and what we have to like learn ourselves on our own. And so finding Western Tantra and even just like the language of the chakra system, the energy body, um, energetic hygiene, you know, um, understanding that this isn't about virginity, but it is instead about harnessing a very powerful force of the universe, which exists within and without us and can move through our entire body in a way that can be very healing for the central nervous system. And so I got really beautiful foundational teachings from this teacher who initiated me in through this practice. And I basically had a free reign learning space, clinical hours, essentially, which was me having my own studio room with a very rudimentary education around this and taking clients day in and day out for three years. And like what came up out of those three years was a really interesting case study in the needs of human sexuality. Mm. And what it began was as me with a very rudimentary education around massage practice, energy work, tantra breath, and the body. And then 
you know, basically doing sensual massage and like lingam massage work and learning yoni massage too as a 19 year old. And then uh, coming out of the practice as a 22 year old, what I ended up doing with my clients was basically just standing and sitting in front of them completely nude, staring into their eyes for like two hours and then crying and allowing them to cry and being with them while they cried and reflected and was acting as that emotional surrogate for them that maybe their partners weren't able to be. So the practice evolved incredibly so, and the practice evolved out of going to sister circles, learning womb care in the Mayoniot tradition and being under the tutelage of another teacher who was able to help me refine my sexual energy, not through just having sex and doing sex service, but instead caring for my womb and my body in this kind of other more divine feminine capacity. So um, thank you for asking. Yeah. And that's why I wrote my article was because yes. for all intents and purposes, like reading this, my original teacher's website was like, oh my God, for the first time, I feel like someone speaking a language that I really want to learn and understand. Then I entered into the tutelage of this person and found a great deal of harm. And that happens to a lot of people. They walk into sexual healing, Western Tantra for an answer, same as they do with psychedelics. And yet like there is something to being green in that space. And so I'm just speaking from now a place of being in that world and out of it for the last five years and still in a sexual refinement space and also still a sacred home. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's uh, cool. It's cool that we're still here. I wasn't completely afraid and scared away from the practice. And I don't feel like just because people are wounded that the practice should ever stop. It should mm. just evolve and adapt and our discernment just gets stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also want to circle back to this incredible article that you wrote that we will include in the show notes. And, um, you know, really like the, what I love about how you write uh, this story is it's a very serious topic, a very vulnerable share, and you hold it with such humor and ferocity. And um, it, it, it truly, it, you highlight the, the red flags. So it really is a teaching article highlighting red flags in the healing space. And I really feel like you writing this article is, is a really um, a beautiful service and step in leadership around the uh, raising awareness around the ethics of facilitation and of healing space. And so, you know, some, some of those, um, red flags, um, right around just your teacher himself and, and, uh, how as a man was, um, you know, marketing that he was facilitating women's empowerment circles. And so, you know, uh, sisters out there, any, anyone that any man that is, you know, the sole man that is facilitating women's work is, uh, is a red flag. And, and you go through, um, you know, countless others, one of them, you know, in your, in, in your maturity, starting to see how other women weren't trusting of him. And I think that that's a, a really important piece, right. That we all need to heal in the wounding of the feminine is really trusting other women. And that it is a part of the, um, part of the patriarchal conditioning to kind of put us against each other when really we are each other's like greatest allies. And so what I love about your story 
um, is also how, um, you know, the, the true healing and transmutation for you, um, that really, you know, took your work, um, as a facilitator to the next level was in sister circle. And I share that experience as well. Um, you know, equally, I think we both share this relationship with grandmother ayahuasca and how she is, was both so direct to us and, um, healing our womb spaces. And so um, I'm not sure if you want to speak a little bit more about, about that. And yeah, and, you know, they, they say um, that grandmother, she sings to you uh, and she calls you to her. And I very much had that experience um, when I was navigating the earliest stages of cervical cancer. It became so loud to me that I needed to sit in ceremony with ayahuasca. And I did not know anybody that was sitting in ceremony with ayahuasca, but she like sang to me in my dreams and, and I, and I found a way to her and I'm so, so glad that I did. Um, and instantly she was like, take out your IUD. Like <laughs> we need to clean up like the, the way that the sexual energy is moving through your body. And she ultimately facilitated a, a healing for me that allowed me to, um, keep my body intact and not surgically remove a part of my cervix, the sacred part of the womb space. Um, and so I know your, your experience was different, but that there's similar threads here and would love to hear you speak about, about your invitation and working with ayahuasca. Thank you. Um, and yeah, you brought up some, some key points, I think in the article, um, as well around the ethics of space holding facilitation. And I, and I just feel like that article, it, it also wanted to not just speak about, you know, when sexual healers and people that say that they want to work with sexual trauma cause more sexual trauma, um, it's coming at the same time that psychedelic facilitators are also marketing themselves as answers and instead are causing a great deal of harm. And I feel like the worlds are very similar. They're both very gray area. They're both very um, private. There is a power dynamic involved. I mean, when people are doing sexual healing work with others, it's like they know a tremendous amount about their sexual history, but the person who's receiving work is not as well-versed in the history of the person taking care of them and vice versa. And um, vice versa with you know, psychedelic facilitators, we do these long intake processes and know an incredible amount about the person we're sitting for. <clears throat> and often the person who's being sat for doesn't know very much actually about the history of the person in front of them. And so it was really interesting to see how just getting insight and trusting the other women in the space, even, you know, just learning that if we are doing women's empowerment, why are there no women in leadership? It just made no sense. I was like, okay, we're doing women's empowerment, but like there's no one guiding the ship. There isn't a community like attached to this like brothel. Um, people are just coming in to make money and they're leaving as fast as they can. So that felt like really um, very non-circle-esque. It just did not feel like a mycelial network. Like I've mm. come to learn is really essential in healing spaces. Um, so as far as the ayahuasca experience goes, and, and it was really interesting because there was a great overlap. So I was dating a man and he is the father of my son. We still live together and parent our child. And 
we were dating while I was doing that work in practice. And I told him, I'm being offered an opportunity to go sit with Madre. And I really want to. And I also don't know what it's going to do for our relationship. I don't know what it's going to do for like, or, you know, it could flip my whole world inside out. So I just, I just want, I wanted him to know that I loved him. And no matter what the outcome was, that I was just so grateful that he'd been with me through my practice. And it was really interesting too, because he was the one who was kind of telling me, you know, this person you're working for is like a spiritual pimp, right? And I was like, no, 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 it's different. You don't understand. You don't get it. So um, I went to Madre. And at the time I was still in hormonal birth control and she did a really beautiful cleaning with me as well. And the cleaning was, she dragged me. She fucking dragged me. I was so ashamed of myself in front of her. And I really loved that because she is the greatest grandmother. And I felt so much shame. I was not even proud of what I was doing. I didn't even realize I wasn't proud of what I was doing. And so she showed me like, that's your illness is the shame you have Mm -hmm. and she helped me see where the shame was deep in the pit of my stomach and you know my father had died of pancreatic cancer and he also was really suffering with shame and becoming a whole person he was also a sex worker and also was deep in the church and felt I can perceive now so torn and so split in their integration of self that living two different worlds and like hoping one world doesn't see the other world and also dealing with, you know, being an addicted person and like not wanting to be all the way one person and instead like compartmentalizing parts of themselves. And so that was where I was. I was like, Oh, I was using a pseudonym. I was like really ashamed of what I was doing. I didn't want my family to know. I didn't want my friends to know. And Madre was like, if you want to become whole again, you have to be proud of everything that you're doing. And so she showed me where the pain was. And so I had a really gnarly purge. Um, The first night was extremely rough. Um, I'd never felt anything like that before. It was like an expansion into my feelings of, of shame. And she made it very clear to me that also my practice had to come to a close because how else was I going to tackle these feelings if I was so deep in the work still? So I needed to take a long, hard break from doing the sex work. And so the second, uh, leading into the second night, there was a circle and this ayahuasca circle was an all women's circle, albeit extremely white, but you know, it was good enough and um, safe enough for me to be there. And they had a conversation around not being on hormonal birth control and doing fertility awareness and doing womb healing. And so I got that message to maybe take out my next one on, which is an implant that I had in my arm and take it out and see what life would be like without trying to, as you said, block the sexual energy coming through my body. And the second night was much, much clearer, much more enjoyable and peaceful. And what was in between that night was the presence of children. There was a child there. And the first night I had felt so completely shameful of what I was doing that I didn't even want to make eye contact with this three-year-old because I felt like it's like they would know what I was doing with my life and that it would somehow pervert them. And the second night I felt a lot more 
well, I know I'm going to start making the right decisions when I get home. So I feel a little bit safer being around kids and I feel a little bit safer being around my own inner child and that I knew that my inner child was being taken care of. So when I got off the mountain, I took off my implant and went on a wound healing journey around how do I learn how to honor my reproductive cycle and honor that I do have a very strong sexual energy. And it's amazing that in three years of Western Tantra, I barely learned how to harness my sexual power because it was so poorly guided. Mm. And (laughs) I then actually, you know, sat down, found a teacher of yoni steaming and wound care. And I studied with her for seven years and I met the sacred mushroom. And I then started studying with the sacred mushroom um, in a really clear, more ceremonial kind of way. So, um, Madre, she really shifted my course. And I'm so glad that she did because I felt very financially manipulated to keep doing sex work because of how good the money was. And she said, no, you can give all of that up, all of it, even if you're afraid, even if you don't know where the money's going to come from. And so I went from like making $1,000 a day to making 500 every two weeks. Mm. <laughs> and um I worked in a health food store and I cleaned up my diet and everything changed so I'm really grateful that I could trust her to let me take the leap of faith and get off of hormonal birth control and also greatly trust that I am more than just what my body can offer men but instead I'm a teacher and a guide and a medicine woman and a person who actually knows quite a lot and investing in my education and my sexual education and my sacred hoe education um, has actually given me more abundance than I ever had doing the work that I was doing before. What I really appreciate about you as a storyteller and as somebody that is, um, you know, so uh, empowered in reviewing your own history, right? As I, I really feel how the 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 sharing that you do is a recapitulation right of of your history your her story and um even you know with some of the 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 darker aspects of working in western tantra and and that time in your in your early early adulthood um that there's also so much wisdom that you glean from that experience and share it as an offering and as a gift to others and, and one thing that we've spoken um, before, or at least that you've questioned and um, about some of these deeper experiences that you had uh, working in, uh, with mushrooms and BDSM and opening up these psychological portals and knowing at that time and even more with discernment, right? Hindsight is 2020 of like that that was not the right space to be opening those psychological portals but as the medicine woman you are today, like what can you share with us about what is the right space to be working somatically with sexual trauma? Mm. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah. The mushrooms really allow us to understand the nature of cyclical time. And so you are able to kind of, in a way, like time travel, portal jump from one place to another while you're on medicine. And because that, sense of linear space and time just kind of like collapses and so 
what you're referring to is like a BDSM session I had with my first teacher that um, I was on mushrooms and because I was getting to know mushrooms at the time and I thought it might be interesting to experiment with this kind of healing modality and yeah I was really much catapulted back to being spanked as a kid and the impact that that made and how it literally drew me to this very space that I was in with like bare ass underhand you know I was like wow here we are back again and what is my inner child looking for um so you know to say that that was a completely unsafe space honestly my teacher was pretty trauma-informed and understanding consensual and all those things and when I had my breakdown um held me in his arms and allowed me and was like there for me witnessing my crying and you know but it, it just doesn't have to happen like that and what I really enjoy now working with the mushroom and working with more womb-centered, yoni-centered cavern space is that um, we can, I can be with myself and glean the same insights, right? And being in partnership with one's own body, I feel, is the safest place. And sometimes for people that do have really complex sexual trauma or PTSD or don't know how to relate to themselves or access pleasure on their own, that being in a well-held space with someone who is somatically understanding that orgasm is a way to heal. And it's a very delicate place to offer spaces where people can engage in orgasmic experiences while with medicine and not have boundaries crossed and harm done. And so those are spaces that I very rarely, if ever, embark on with others because of the delicate and sensitive nature. But what I do do is I love to educate, train, and help people do that for themselves. And other ways that I also perform the service of helping people revisit these experiences and portal jump is through yoni steaming. Mm. And yoni steaming is very non-invasive. And yet it is very journey-like. Mm. And the only hands-on that I have done um, within that journey space is directly with the womb and directly hands-on with the body. Um, and usually during those yoni steaming sessions, we are microdosing or taking full doses. And um, they are very impactful. And I've seen people walk away from 10 year long narcissistic relationships or move houses from, you know, being with an abusive grandmother or, you know, a number of different outcomes just by sitting on a pot of herbs, being in deep meditation and listening to the needs of the woman body and the touching of the face and skin and hair and hands can be just as sensory, orgasmic, pleasurable and comforting on medicine as maybe just having like a full body orgasm like run through your system so um what we're developing right now is actually like a protocol to help facilitators and people um perform and experience orgasmic pleasure while on medicine in a way that like we understand our role and boundaries with the person that we're taking care of and a person who wants to do it for themselves can learn a really clear protocol on how to do that. So um, it has a lot to do with engaging in the sexual space 
on medicine. And I feel honestly, there's no avoiding it. There's no avoiding healing sexual trauma by engaging in sexual activity. And I think that's where the sacred hoe comes in. It's like the sacred hoe and the role of what the sacred hoe is, is to perfect and refine those safe places for people to explore their sexuality and intimacy. And I know a good deal of somatic sex educators that do pelvic massage, that do yoni massage with medicine and are like physically working with people's genitalia. There's just no way to get away from engaging with the genitalia and I just feel like the world of sex work and psychedelics are and have always been interwoven and as someone who's really motivated to have a moral and ethical standing as a facilitator am now myself learning how to weave the two worlds together in an even better way than just getting spanked on mushrooms and having a really gnarly experience so that is my walk in my practice as a 28 year old that I'm hoping that I will perfect and refine by like 40, how to create those beautiful, safe and impactful environments for people to portal jump in their sexual healing and sexual trauma work. Mm, yeah. And um, so for people that may not know, like the practice of Yoni steaming, but this is uh, you know, li- literally steaming the vulva and, and and the vaginal canal with herbs. It's a pra- it's an ancient healing practice that belongs to so many cultures across the world, and it really is an alchemization of the elements. Right? It's mm-hmm. earth. It is fire. Mm-hmm. It is water. And it is, and it is um, spirit too. <laughs> and it is spirit. Absolutely. 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 And so, yeah. you know, that is one of Michaela's offerings that, that she does, uh, I believe with and without psychedelic support, um, if, mm-hmm. if I'm correct, but just yeah. to give people some, some, some context about what that practice mm-hmm. is, um, you know, and there's a couple of things that I just want to highlight that you said, which is so powerful is you know, first of all, your response about this being a, a return to self and being with your body is ultimately how uh, how this healing transmutes. And it recalls the actual etymology and real meaning of the word virgin. Mm. Virgin, right, is, is not going back to our conversation around purity or not purity. It's not something that can be taken from you, right? To virgin is to be whole unto yourself. Mm. That mm. is the real meaning of what a virgin is. And mm. so in, in, you know, the sacred hoe is a virgin, <laughs> even mm. if that sounds, even though it sounds that like that an oxymoron, no <laughs> <laughs> the sacred hoe is a virgin, <laughs> yeah. you know? Thank you. She, Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So the other piece I'd love to explore more is around this healing of, is there something you want to say about, about that? No, no. (laughs) The sacred head is a virgin. I'm just like, oh man, that's a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the piece around the, uh, uh, orgasm. And I think that, you know, that, um, there's something that maybe you can shed light, uh, on about, you know, how orgasm is impacted by sexual trauma 
And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I love how you're opening up this multidimensional view of what orgasm is, is really this flow and pulse of energy and right. And like sexual energy is the same as creative energy. It is Mm -hmm. the same energy as money really. Right. It's like when Mm -hmm. we, when we, when we get down to the root of the flow of this energy current that, uh, uh, multiplies and creates abundance, like really, right. Our, our creative energy creates our sexual energy creates, you know, even money creates. Um, and, and that Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have that understanding Mm -hmm. of how these things weave together. And Mm -hmm. especially if, um, we've been, uh, violated as a young person or any time, right. A sexual assault didn't happen for me until I was in my twenties. Um, but that, that, that can block that, that energetic orgasmic flow that really can close us off from our deepest authentic expression and confidence. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much. Um, when you speak to, and you are such an amazing speaker, by the way, like I just learned from you so much. Um, so when we speak into the relationality between orgasmic energy, life force, um, bliss, orgasmic living, currency, money, all these creative um, forces in the universe, in the universe, we can really consider water as an amazing allegory Mm. for all of these things. Mm. And it's really amazing because in this like wound care practice and this dive of this mush wound consciousness, um, this descending consciousness, like who are the governess energies of these sacred waters, these Agua de Estrellas, literally, we're not even sure if water originated on planet Earth. Mm. We're not even sure where it comes from. Some people say that it it comes from stars, like that it is the molecular um, coding of a universal force that exists in different places, but is not necessarily of Earth. And so it is life-giving. And the deities and the Biosas and the Neturu and the Orisha that are governing that precious flow just so also happened to be the love goddesses like mm. Oshun, like Heteru, like Sarasvati, like these sensual priestesses essentially. And um, they govern the way that all pleasure, all life is experienced. And what is incredible about what is happening on the body and in the body of the humans living here on the planet is even folks with sexual trauma and folks without it, people with trauma in general, really struggling to understand the management and the maintaining of sacred waters. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We really struggle with how to steward water on the planet earth, Mm. how to collect rainwater, how to care for rivers, how to ensure drinking water is for everybody. I mean, it's so related. And it's so obvious that our misunderstanding of the nature of pure water on the earth is really how we just do not understand and misunderstand and mistreat the waters that flow within our own body. And these rivers between our legs, these rivers in our blood, they are the telltale sign of the health of the system the blood of the menstruation, you can look at it and really get an understanding for the health of a person. How are those rivers flowing? Is it in relationship in accordance with a lunar time, a lunar cycle? 
are we right relationship with our waters? And as you said, these rivers get blocked, these rivers get muddied. And the response to sexual trauma can be so vast and so wide and so different. The response that you are elaborating on is this contraction of mm. the sexual power. And for me, it was a complete like floodgate open. It was like a damaging river that was like, it was like a tsunami that just like came through and just like wrecked my life because I did not know how to understand the, the medicine of the banks of the river to like learn how to manage the waters properly, how to maintain the waters and how to allow it to be irrigated properly and like moved through many channels. Like everyone's flow is super different. And so my flow was like catastrophic. And my sister who underwent the same experience completely contracted. Mm. She didn't even have sexual contact with anyone until she was in her early, you know, mm. early 20s, late teens. Mm -hmm. And so for me and for you and the understanding of the way that sexual trauma is experienced in the body, I just want listeners to understand that it is going to express itself in so many different ways in your body. And what the most important thing is, is understanding where the yes is. Where is the yes? Where's mm. the open jaw, relax of every sphincter in the body? Where do we find that? Yes. Because it's somewhere for everyone. Yes. That, and that could be happening when we're singing. That can be happening when we're dancing or when we're doing art. And for people that are not ready to head on like, I'm going to do sexual healing work and like, I'm going to go into the sexual space and like explore my deep inner darkness there can do so safely in artistic forms mm -hmm. can do so safely through somatic means that are non-sexual. How do we explore pleasure? That's non-sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. When you, when you build that and you build the neurochemistry that responds to pleasure and responds to, Oh my God, I'm so pleased I'm so I'm experiencing and witnessing so much beauty and so much beauty in myself and I'm creating beautiful things I'm proud of myself and sharing those gifts with other people hi I wrote a song I shared you know I created a piece of poetry that I would like to share with you or want to give to somebody and someone responds to that and say oh my god this is beautiful. This is so pleasing. Then like we start to actually heal what that Svaristan, that sacral chakra is about. It's about interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. It's about water. It's about art and creativity. And so, hey, maybe we're not ready to engage sexually right now because it's really challenging to even go there. But finding a space to outlet the creative force and igniting the creative force and even enticing or encouraging the creative force through beckoning it. Mm, mm -hmm. For people that have like a really hard time relating with allowing a space for their creative like flow to come, it really comes by beckoning, not like hey, man, I'm so not creative. Like, how do I be so creative like other people? How can I be so creative? Like, it's like asking yourself, like, why don't I orgasm like the way other people do? 
<laughs> you know? And I was like, wow, like what an interesting way to approach your own body. And what an interesting way to approach pleasure. I'm like, how do you actually coerce and like, how do you actually entice and like play and like get a, a wounded animal to come out as you build trust, you yeah. slowly approach. Yeah. And so for people that really have like a stifled, like, orgasmic and like creative practice then we can like pleasurably entice them towards creativity by beckoning and saying hey do you want to do we want to try do you want to be creative together do you want to you know encourage creativity together and like here's a piece of paper and some watercolor and like let's try something Mm. and so that's what I do with a lot of people is I like beckon to people and I beckon to people's creative selves as much as I can um so I think those are really great non-sexual ways to also encourage pleasure and once you feel in your full fucking whole artistic sense then that expression of self really allows for orgasmic energy to move through Mm -hmm. clearly it breaks Mm -hmm. it breaks clear the blockages um when not only the yoni is open but the cervix is open and the throat and the voice is open. Mm-hmm. Those channels are essential for a full and open flow of sexual and orgasmic energy and freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, so much wisdom. And yeah, I love hearing you speak about courting the muse. And that, you know, it's a relationship, right? And, um, you know, the 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 piece around, um, you know, sensuality in its true uh, definition of, of the senses, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we conflate sensuality and sexuality and like merge them as one, but really like the beauty of the feminine is sensuality to sense, mm. to feel the touch, mm. the gaze, the smell, all of that, right? All, all mm. of those portals really are portals to the divine, really. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I love that as, mm-hmm. uh, as guidance of people that maybe aren't ready to jump into an inner mm-hmm. vaginal exploration workshop, <laughs> right. um, which I also highly recommend, right. Uh, mm-hmm. of, 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 of doing that and, and eventually becoming so intimate with your own tissues, because um, what you're speaking to around the opening. And I, I feel like this is one of the the real harms of the lack of sexual education for our young people um, is that as, you know, as young women, we're really not educated about the erectile tissue in the vulva and Mm. in the vaginal canal. And so a Mm. lot of penetration is happening before really the, the, the flower is open and Mm. that, you know, that uh, a lot of like medical doctors don't even really understand that like the vulva is erectile tissue and that our bodies operate different than male reproductive systems. We need like 30, 40 minutes to fully arouse. And, Mm. you know, when we are like, she is like pulsing, right. She is, she's (laughs) actually engorged. Right. Yeah. And that, and, and that opening, right. Uh, in the yoni, in the throat. And so what you're speaking to Scottistana, mm. um, the chakra system, right? The rishis mm. knew that the, that the sacral chakra, Svadhisthana, the element of water was a mm. crescent moon. And mm-hmm. the, and then Vashud, the throat chakra mm-hmm. is the full moon. 
And so mm. we know that these two energetic centers, that, 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 that up here is the full blooming and the full expression of these two, of these two energy centers that are energy centers of creation. Mm. Ashay, um, my goodness. I mean, and just back to the water, it's just like, where is water being uh, like asked to organize and crystallize? And if we're not really aware that blood is crystalline and has its own special codes and has its own special medicine and properties and circulation being so important. I mean, we're talking about lubrication. We're talking mm -hmm. about like natural lubrication, like the body telling you that you're ready. People are like, oh my gosh, why don't I get wet? I'm like, because you're not ready. Like you don't <laughs> feel good enough to engage in that and in rape culture it's just like no they're always ready and I'm like hey it's um it's a different story and it's amazing how even as you mentioned in health and in like medicine that there's such also a misunderstanding for the needs of of yonis and of female reproductive systems and, and that's why doctors are chopping into these places and like i just wonder would people like chop into dicks the same way that they chop into yonis <laughs> Six hundred thousand hysterectomies a year mm. sis i'm just like we could do so much better than that we can be going on journeys to that are that are initiated by health crisis you know what i mean it's like the health crisis is the beckon for the the heru's journey and mm -hmm. be crying out of your body in every way to be like please pay attention to me you know and intimacy sexuality is just one of the many modalities for which to really look at the health of a person to really look at the whole wellness of is this is this human being being cared for in their world by their world and in the world and um the general and collective sexual health and the sacred hoe of the collective man we are still at odds about where she lives collectively you know some people would rather like really hide that part away and keep a real behind closed doors and People like me and people like so many others that really allow their sexual hoe to be at the front is uh, hopefully permissioning and beckoning other people. You know, there's some hoes in this house. There's some ho like to just call them out, like to just be like, hey, it's safe. It's safe, y'all. And we're going to protect you. And we're going to make sure that like just because the hoes are out, that means that does not mean that does not make us a target. Being a mm. hoe is not a target. Being mm. a sex worker is not a welcome for harm. And honestly, up until maybe the 1980s, it was like even being a wife was being a target mm. for sexual mm. assault. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. we have taught a lot around how we got here, why the collective consciousness around the sacred hoe is the way it is. I mean, the, the ancient ones, the sacred ones, the sacred hoe energy, the Hathor, the Heteru, the priestesses, the sex priestesses, they've always had a place in this world. Yeah, Hathor and... is whore. That, that is the origination yes. <laughs> of, of whore is Hathor, the great goddess. 
the great the great water buffalo of the mm-hmm. river i mean mm-hmm. like she is the juicy taurus Ven- venusian as fuck energy and it's from her dung that the mushrooms come from mm-hmm. come on now mm-hmm. come on now so i'm just like you know if like we can't talk about horny like the bull you know it, it like the cow like the bovine that the uterus is the shape of the Baphomet head and that this gets co-opted into like satanic like oh my god the the ram's head is satan and i'm like nah it's a uterus and you know we've been the program to be turned against the nature of the most sacred is the lineage of the empire of the last 2600 years that is the Mm. encoding of the last Mm. 2600 years so if we know that the last 2600 years has been to encode us with the belief that everything that is sacred is not, then we go back and find the very things that we are told are not sacred, that we are told are evil and disgusting, and choose those to be our guiding poles. And so for me, growing up in a Christian school, in a Catholic school, you know, being promiscuous woman, being sexually embodied, being sensory, being told that the sensory should actually be broken down, even in the new age spiritual movement around ascension culture and like ascend, ascend, ascend. I'm not the body. I'm not the body. Like we are here on escape planet earth, like planet earth is hell. And we are here to go into the next dimension. I'm like, we are, are in so many ways still adopting purity culture and not the medicine of descending consciousness and descending, Mm. descending into the cellular level, like descending into the sensory cellular level, the mycelial level. And so I now coming out of Christianity and Catholicism recognize that everything I was told is sin is what makes me powerful Mm. and (laughs) finding those right guiding poles like Ma'at, like Hathor, like Oshun, like these other pantheons that have always existed. And these pantheons of also the Mexica, like Kualikwe and Tonansin and Kwatakutli, who are just like these diosas de la tierra, like these mothers of the earth that are so dark and they're so melanated and they're so connected to death and psychedelics and soil and pleasure and dying and rebirth. I'm like, yo, hit me with that one more motherfucking time because like the Kali energy and these 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 dark femmes, these these are going to tip the scale. And in the wombs of the empire class, it's like, let's tip it because it's it's about damn time that things oscillate in a different direction and find a lot more balance. So I'm grateful for podcasts like these. I'm grateful for spaces where we could talk about sacred ho. And honestly, like, even though I'm in a monogamish relationship, I still feel so embodied in my sacred ho energy. And after going through this incredible pregnancy release journey, also recognizing that the ultimate agency is with the womb carrier themselves, the ultimate portal of life and death. The ultimate gatekeeper between the portal of life and death is the uterus itself Mm. and is being in companionship and in relationship with 
the desires of the portal itself and mm. to be carrying that and to be honoring and listening to that and to be co-authoring, co-relating, authoring in general, just what we want to be born, what we would like to die is the greatest gift of of the of the dark womb of the dark mm. amenta mm. you know and to be the keepers of the portal between life and death is the ultimate gift and the ultimate sacred hell energy they call orgasms the little death for a reason mm. we are practicing to die every time we are releasing dmt serotonin dopamine oxytocin into our body we are practicing for the largest orgasm that there is which is when we exit Mm. And when we come back, so practicing, <laughs> practicing orgasmic living will also help us to understand orgasmic dying. Mm. Yeah. Oof. Yes, sister. Thank you so much. And I, I would love to, if we can also bring this, like, you know, some of the work that you do in education, um, uh, that we share this work around, uh, educating around the menstrual cycle and menstruation and, and tying this into this energy of death and release and, um, how, uh, I, one of the things that you've said before that I love, um, is the womb is not a tomb mm. and, um, you know, your advocacy, um, of sexual, uh, reproductive sovereignty, um, and how you educate about working with plants and fertility awareness method. Um, I really see how that is liberating, right. To and inviting uh, womb carriers uh, into a deeper, authentic expression and power, right? As opposed to what so many, unfortunately, women are guided to do is just to shut that power down and be on birth control. Mm. And and so, if there's more that you want to say around, like how mm. you know, because the womb can carry um, the trauma, but it, it that is not the place actually to store pain and suffering, right? the womb is a place to create and bring life and also mm -hmm. to release death as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the womb knows how to release. It's doing it all the time. Our role being a womb companion and one who cares for a womb, whether that's your own womb or the wombs of others is to assist in the releasing process. And what a lot of people really what is really challenging is to know how to release and release fully and deeply. And people who have been on hormonal birth control, what's really interesting is that the, the womb is not going through a release process anymore. Mm -hmm. There is no death birth re rebirth cycle in a uterus that has synthetic hormones running through it because the essential point of it is to stop ovulation um basically birth control works by being an ovulation inhibitor and so when we do not have ovulation we do not have the cycle for which release is possible or even necessary so the bleed that people experience when they're on hormonal birth control is a synthetic one it's um it's it's manufactured into the pill to give the illusion that blood is there so that it helps a person feel more comfortable, although it is not scientifically necessary. So that's what's really trippy is that the fake bleed um, is there just to be a peace of mind, to trick people into believing that there is 
yes, a cycle happening, but in fact it isn't. And so um, what's really important is that people do return really to what a cycle feels like. And those cycles are not easy, especially if you were on birth control to um, support or to pause the symptoms of a womb imbalance, right? But you will never address the womb imbalance if you do not let the cycles happen as they are designed to do in order to communicate with you what is wrong. Mm -hmm. So birth control can be very helpful for pausing the pain, which is good. That's ethical. That's necessary for some people to at least put themselves in a position where they can go on the dive, right? Like mm-hmm. they need to get all their ducks in a row, proper housing, access to food, access to herbs, access to medicine and support, right? Like they got their team, they got the access, they got the education and information ready. And now they're going to go, right? That is so reasonable. And I feel like birth control is ethical in that circumstance as a pause. Let's put a band-aid on this and we're going to address it when we have everything together. Great. It is not, it should never be used forever. It is not in any way um, really supportive to understanding what the actual health of the womb is. So this cyclical life and being a participant in the steward of cyclical living is first of all, learning what our own cycle is, whether that's 23 to 48 days long, you know, we could call it PCOS, we just call it, call it our own special rhythm. Uh, there is a really wide range. And I think the fundamental education of understanding the internal seasons model, I think can be mm-hmm. a great place for people to start. If mm-hmm. you're not interested in the chemistry, Let's at least understand that the external world is also articulating a, an allegory for the internal one, and especially the one of the womb. So we could look at the moon, or we could look at the seasons themselves. And um, the cyclical seasons model, I think, is a really great place for a lot of people to begin. And symptothermal, I think, is an interesting terminology. Symptom eludes sickness. These are not symptoms, right, mm-hmm. of fertility. They are biomarkers. They are indications of the body communicating where we are at. So I don't even really like to use, look at your symptoms, right, of premenstrual. Look at your symptoms of ovulation because these are not health concerns. These are very natural patterns of of a releasing body. And one thing that I really love to impress on people is honoring the menstruation as Mm. a sacred act. Because when we have sexual trauma, when we have, we are absorbing data points, sensory, right, portals, extreme high amounts of data always coming in and out. That person who stared at us weird in the bus, um, the checker who was like really having a hard time in their day and you felt empathetic towards them. Whatever it was that you received as data that day, you got in an argument with your partner um, or you cooked your meal poorly, whatever it was. These are finding a place to live in our body. And so the womb, I feel, becomes, because of its watery nature, like attracts and magnetizes. And honestly, because of its collection of blood, um, it magnetizes a lot of this shit that we absorb in the world. And what's great is that the womb knows how to release those things. 
But if we're not consciously releasing, if we are not in ways supporting our menstruation and saying, I'm going to drink up these good herbs because I know it will increase circulation to my womb. It will assist in the full release of my endometrial tissue, that it will provide the correct amount of heat in order to peacefully bleed. And I also have the time and space and spaciousness to bleed peacefully. How are we supposed to fully release? There's a lot of endometrial tissue and blood clots that are just sitting in there, sitting in there, constantly not being released. The uterine contractions not available to us. And what's important about orgasm is its ability to powerfully contract the uterus in order mm. to fully release the contents of that there is within. So herbs, practices, orgasm, education, knowing what is happening in your body when it's happening is a years long endeavor, especially mm -hmm. for people who have been on pause for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it took me at least seven years to understand with a good sense of intuition and confidence what the needs of my body are at every given point in my cycle. Mm. So Mm. The ultimate service that I can do for my body is serving my release process and mm. enjoying very much my ovulation. That's, I think, at the end of the day, what we can do for ourselves on a whole level is just honor and celebrate every point from ovulation to release and back again. And if we can do that for our own seasons and celebrate our own seasons like premenstrual, like pre-ovulatory, then we can start doing that on the planet. Mm. Then we can start saying, oh, it's not always harvest time. It doesn't always have to be radical harvest time on earth, that there can be rest period and celebrate that, that there can be springtime, oh my gosh, and celebrate that, that there could be hot as fuck summer and celebrate that too. So orgasmic living also looks like celebrating the seasons internally and externally and being really involved with mother nature being really involved with mother earth and learning from her many teachers which are the blanditas the stone people the water people the virus beings the bacterial beings the four-legged the two and the winged ones um it is an orgasmic world we live in mm. when i look at nature she is just fucking blossoming and pulsating with with sexuality and sensuality you know, we we live in an orgasmic world. And so when we bring orgasm into ourselves, we create more orgasmic energy on this world. We bring more water into the system. If water is from the stars, if water is cosmic, then water will come when we beckon it. And we need water right now more than ever and balanced water and peaceful waters. And so She's really listening to us and we can really listen to her right now. And um, these these plant teachers, um, there are so many that support the womb. And um, in the um, coursework that I've done, in the trainings that I've done, I really love to share uh, my plant allies for peaceful wombs and um, learning how to not just be consumers of plants, but to be in relationship with. There are a few offerings that I feel it's very easy to like run together because they are so, so correlated. But um, on my website, mysticjasper.com, you'll see three uh, main educational offerings that are occurring pretty concurrently with one another. 
The first one is the Wombs of the Empire class. So I ran those cohorts all October. So that those are already complete. Um, I had 70 students for that class, mm. which was really incredible. It was a three-part lecture series. But what's really cool is right now, the replays are available at like a fraction of the price. So the... Um, those classes, the three-part lecture series is available on my website right now and on my link tree, my link in my bio on my Instagram. Um, and those are $66 for three, um, like two hour long lectures. So it's like six hours and it's absolutely incredible content. It took me forever to make those presentations and they're very video, audible, like multimedia. I'm not the kind of teacher who's like, here's just a bunch of powerpoints and like here's just a bunch of bullets and like no Michaela you truly are a brilliant creative and I just want (laughs) to emphasize like I can spend hours on your feed and I just your way your writing your video capture um your your graphic design like 100% such a brilliant creative Thank you. It's really fun to make education enjoyable. And I think that's how we learn the best. So um, that was the Empire class is fire. I'm so proud of what I've done. And that was my pregnancy release pretty much. Like I Mm. was in my pregnancy at home release process with herbs, practices and pills from September 5th to October 15th. And I completed Wombs of the Empire October 11th. And Mm. so, um, Sorry, October, we had a class October 11th, and then the last class was October 17th. So I just like, it was so congruent, like the pregnancy release process and what abortion really is, can be the sacrifice for a life, Mm. our life, Mm -hmm. the energetic exchange for the life that we are praying to continue and grow and sending the souls back as our teachers. And so um, that was so huge to have that pregnancy release process complete on the 15th. And then that final class I was able to give on the following Monday with that wisdom, with that holy fuck, it is true, you can do it this way. And wow, is it hard? Let me tell you how I did it. Here are the plants, here are the practices, here are the pills, here's how you can do it. And so um, just the range of like what the womb can do from bringing life to creating art to ushering in souls in and then back again. Um, Just the highest humility for what the womb is capable of creating. So Wombs of the Empire, that's there. The second offering is also a pre-recorded course called Psychedelics and Maternity. And it was put together by Double Blind Magazine and myself and five other BIPOC women teachers and mothers. Um, What an amazing course if anyone is ever interested in integrating psychedelics into their motherhood parenting journey mothers to be spouses mothers of 15 16 20 year olds you know what i mean 40 year olds um still highly beneficial information covers these very things we're talking about today womb cycle tracking orgasmic living to talking to your children about psychedelics and integrating your parental experience with an entheogen life that is moral and cares for your children and encourages your children to um, make the choices for themselves and to parent from a psychedelic lens and perspective. So that is in pre-sale right now. And um, the course material is going to launch November 8th. And so I'm really grateful for that offering. This podcast will probably be out shortly, like maybe around that time. So 
Um, I really hope that people catch it. Um, it's it's unreal and everyone should share it with their friends. Um, the third one is a live container called Entheo Mama. That one begins November 21st. And I'm teaching and holding space in that class alongside a somatic sex educator. Mm. <laughs> which I think is perfect for this conversation. She is a sacred hoe, and so am I. And we're both mothers, and we're both medicine women who serve the mushroom. So I just think the course material is just so amazing. There's a great community attached to it, and it's a five-week held container. My attention for five weeks at, like, a fraction of what it is to, like, do it privately. So uh, I really enjoy the, what's available with that, and I'm really happy to collaborate with another sacred hoe, mother and medicine woman. So those are the three things that are pretty front forward right now and we'll be filling seats for Anthea Mama. And um, the other two are for any and every time. So even if people are listening to this podcast well into the future, they could still really benefit from the information that is that is within that. So mm-hmm, thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. And also want to um, share that you are in San Diego and um, do facilitate healing circles uh, in person in addition to all the education that you do uh, online. And if there's anything else that you want to share, I mean, what I so appreciate that you've shared with me in the past of um, really this traditional way of holding ceremony and working with these medicines and with music and with song and um, really how that informs the the ethics of facilitation. And I know uh, we didn't get deep into it, but how, you know, feminine leadership in this space, right? And how women taking these leadership roles in this space helps reduce, right? Some of the harm that has been happening in the psychedelic circles where sexual trauma is being revisited, uh, re, uh, right? Um, by bad actors in the space. There's um, a, an ex- exorbitant amount of stories that are coming forth about people that have been um, taken advantage of, abused by facilitators. And that's why I think it's so important to uh, highlight the incredible work of medicine women that are that are restoring power dynamics um, in these sacred circle spaces. Thank you so much. I um, I really feel that visibility is of the utmost necessity when looking to ensure care with people and and benefit optimizing um space and facilitation it's it's so necessary that people can see what people are doing and we have multiple vantage points which is why i serve groups because even if there is some even slightest of transgressions there are at least five eyes on the case and can see and we are operating as a community and I'm not even going to say that just because I'm a woman makes me a safer space holder because I've also seen Mm. quite a lot of harm Mm. being done on the emotional and psychological uh, levels with, um, you know, yeah, herbalists doing private apprenticeships and like abusing the fuck out of the people that come to just genuinely learn from them. And that it's not exclusive just to cis, cis men, but, you know, what it is exclusive to is, as you said, this like power balance. And so when we sit and we spread power, multiple facilitators, multiple leadership positions and roles, um, we distribute power more evenly. And while I am organizing and holding an anchor within the space, I'm just acting as a 
I'm acting as a pillar of a temple that many pillars are needed to hold. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, 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 I'm acting as like a crux in a much like larger community, uh, like symphony. Like there, there is what's so beautiful about these traditional models for holding space and circling is that this, this is not a person on a pedestal at a church with an entire congregation staring in one direction at one person. Like it's a Broadway show. This is instead us sitting at eye level with each other in a circle where we can all see each other. And we center the collective energy that's coming, not the one person's energy that is now being like disseminated down to a congregation. So even just the shape of the circle is I think absolutely essential and mimics what the mushrooms do often in nature by creating from a single spore, a fairy ring Mm, that mm -hmm. expands out and makes a mushroom circle. So sitting in circles, I just feel like is the most, um, I guess, harmonizing and um, equalizing way to sit in ceremony. And I do sit in a smaller capacity, sometimes like one-on-one or myself and two other people. And um, I really, I really just find that the same mechanisms and the same principles and influence that we have taking care of our children is the same principles and like practices that we can have caring for the people in entheogenic space and vice versa, that the skills that I learn in being a space holder for other people are the same skills that I employ with my son in the middle of a tantrum. Mm. The way that I approach my son in the middle of a tantrum is the same way that I would approach someone having a very challenging emotional um, expressive experience in medicine. Sit, Mm. witness, care, nurture. So that's the reason I think and I really feel that matriarchal leadership is actually essential in psychedelics is because psychedelic care was born out of mothering. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm, Yeah, I feel like this web that's also being um, uh, weaved as you speak about the circle and some of these like larger themes of like the difference from uh, religious institutions and this concept of separation from earth and that we are on hell on earth, this, this whole, this whole wounding of separation versus what the circle invites us is into deep connection, deep collaboration, uh, that, Mm -hmm. that, that heaven is here now here. (laughs) It is. This this is it. (laughs) This is, this is it. And, and, And honestly, it's our role to anchor it. It's mm. our responsibility to actually like mm-hmm. embody heaven on earth so that we can act in ways on the earth that articulate that we are caring for heaven. Like we are caring for the temple of heaven right in front of us, that everywhere that we walk can be a beautiful space. Like Hathor, Heteru, the way that we honor and give reverence to this part, this this Neturu is by adorning oneself, is by working with these sweet oils, is by caring for the sensory awareness. That's how we worship and that's how we praise the sacred whore in us, is by beautifying space. 
and beautifying ourselves. And so we can, for all intents and purposes, worship by beautifying. Mm, mm. So why not go outside and make the space you're in a little bit more beautiful than the way you found it by cleaning it and tending to it and and organizing it and making more spaciousness for plants to grow and cutting weeds and pulling pulling up stuff that doesn't that's dead and and needs to be composted you know it's like Mm -hmm. that's worship that's Mm -hmm. sacred praise that's that's to the highest degree the most sacred of acts that we can participate in and so that's and that's the steady and thankless work that mothers often do in their families Mm that brown people often do mm. at the hands of capitalism mm. that is that's god that's mm. god that's how god works that's how nature works doing the thankless work to hold it all together and that's mm. what the mycelium do they do the thankless work of just holding the entire web of life together and when we eat the mushroom that we eat the mushroom not in hopes to be better people but to become more like mushrooms mm-hmm Mhm. Mhm. Mm. Yes. So incredible. Yeah. It's an honor. It's an honor to be able to share these codes with you. And um honestly, I'm just like, man, me like 13 years old, I just had no idea how possible it would be to be happy and fulfilled and whole again. And it's by telling my story and having beautiful places in which to converse with folks that do really understand, that do have the experience and have walked similar walks that gives gives me and brings me so much peace. So I just, I bow to you and I honor you as a node in the mycelial web for so many people and a node in the sacred Ho Hawthorne network. Mm. that um we are in the womb link that's what my teacher tells me it's like we're womb linked and um these wombs have been trying to get in touch with each other before we even knew about each other so i just i'm happy to oscillate with you i'm happy to pulsate vibrate orgasmic bliss with you and um, i hope that everyone listening also finds this as like a little portal um for a much deeper exploration into their orgasmic self, their sacred hoe, and their medicine way. So I just, yeah, thank mm, you. Mm, thank you, sister. Receive that so deeply and, and resonate and feel the same about you. Truly, what an honor it is to receive your story and um, all the all the wisdom that you transmit and that you, all the codes that you carry and all the education. And so thank you so much for your vulnerability, your openness, your your heart, your your intelligence. Um, appreciate it you're, from the bottom of you're, my so heart. You're, you're the shit. I can't <laughs> even tell you like how much I enjoy speaking with you. And I know we're well over like our goal. I, but... I didn't even want to. I didn't even. I don't want to. I could keep going. Honestly, like it's so good. We'll, we'll have to do out. a part we'll two. We'll out in real life. Yeah. <laughs> part two. Part two. It is. I'm here for it. But thank you again. I really appreciate you. Thank you so, so much.